You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 107. Today's episode is called Headaches. And it is all about how to figure out what type of headache you have and then also providing you with the treatment recommendations for that particular type of headache. Not all headaches are the same, particularly following concussion. There can be a wide range of the types of headaches that you experience. And so this was a presentation that I actually provided to uh, the Concussion Fix community um, a few months back. And uh, for those who don't know, the Concussion Fix is an online kind of program, educational community and support program for those with persistent concussion symptoms. So those with symptoms lasting months to years. Uh, we have myself, we have Dr. Paul Herkel, who's a naturopathic doctor. And we have a psychotherapist, Melinda Crennan-Hill, who is known as Stillspace on social media. And what we do with that program is provide the tools and education that patients need in order to help them recover from persistent concussion symptoms. So we take all of the medical research that's been done on this and try to disseminate it down. One of the things that we do is every single Thursday morning, we have a live session on Zoom and we present various topics. And so this is one of the topics that we presented and I thought that would be applicable for this audience, uh, both for the healthcare providers that tune in as well as for the patients that tune in. So today what we're gonna talk about are the most common headache types in post-concussion syndrome or persistent concussion symptoms, as it is now known. How do you figure out what type of headache that you have? There's some key kind of differentiating factors between the headache types that might lead you down one path or another. And the important thing about getting this right is that this defines what the treatment should be. And so that's what we're going to finish off with. So let's talk first about just headaches as a general concept. Headaches are a very common part of life. I don't think anyone I know has ever gone through their entire life without experiencing at least one or two headaches at some point in time. And in fact, the stats show that about 95% of everybody in the world will experience a headache at some point in their life. Every single year, about half of us, 50% of the adult population will experience a headache. It is one of the top 10 causes of disability around the world. 98% of headaches are what is considered primary, and this is migraine-type headache, tension headaches, and cluster headaches, and they require no special investigation, which is interesting because almost 30% of all referrals to neurologists, so basically one out of every three referrals to a neurologist, is because of a headache. And so it's important to understand that 98% of headaches do not require any specific further investigation because they are generally what is considered benign, non-life-threatening, and non-problematic, and essentially fairly easily treatable with the right approach. So the most common primary type headaches, I'm gonna go through the top three, which is tension type and migraine and cluster, I'm not gonna get into because those aren't as common in the PCS community. But tension types and migraine headache. Tension type headaches make up about 60 to 80% of all headaches. They are dull and aching and constant in how they feel. 
versus migraine, which is more of a throbbing or pulsatile quality. So migraine is more of a throb, whereas tension type and even another type we're gonna talk about, cervicogenic, is more of a constant, dull, aching, pain that doesn't go away. Migraine actually goes away. So there's a differentiating feature there and migraine is pulsatile. Tension type headaches may have the sensation of pressure in the forehead, the temples, or even in the back of the head. And the headache is thought to arise from muscle tension in the face, neck, scalp, etc. So it's based on muscle tension. Migraine headache, they used to think it was vascular. So the thought process on migraine headache was that there was some sort of altered blood flow issue. It was a vascular headache and you had a reduction in blood flow to an area which would cause uh, in some patients what's called an aura where you may see color patterns. You may have some sort of thing that starts up before the headache happens that leads you to believe or to know that a headache is going to come. I get migraines with aura. And for me, my visual field will start to have a little bit of a scintillating color pattern, they call it. And it's almost like you're looking through a crystal where you get these color waves happening here and you can't really see what's going on. Over the next 20 minutes, it starts to creep into my visual field where I am completely blind on one side. And after, and I know I'm getting a headache. So I start taking Advil and all sorts of different medications before the headache actually starts. You feel fine when this is happening. When it first starts happening, you think you're having a stroke because all of a sudden you're going blind in one side of your face and, uh, or one side of your visual field. And then the headache starts, boom, the aura goes away and the headache comes on and it's strong and it lasts a couple hours and then it goes away. So that's migraine with aura. Not everyone gets aura prior to a migraine, but they used to think that the, the, the constriction of blood flow is what caused the aura. You weren't getting strong blood flow and then your body reacted by dilating blood vessels and then you'd get this pounding pulsatile type migraine. Now we're learning a little bit more about it and interestingly, the pathophysiology or the process that happens in migraine headache is very similar to what happens in concussion injuries. And it starts with an excitatory phase, which is the same thing that happens right after concussion injury. And that's what is thought to cause aura in those patients. And then it causes what's called a spreading depression where you get this massive release of glutamate and this drop in, in ATP levels, as well as some other things where your, your pain receptors become more responsive. And there's some other things that happen in migraine. But either way, just thinking about the characters of the headache, those that feel like your headache is pressure or your headache is constant and it doesn't go away, you're thinking probably more along the tension type headache. If it's migraine, you're thinking more of a pulsatile quality. You may have aura that comes on before. You may not have aura that comes on before. And generally the duration is going to be different. And we'll talk about that as we move along. So headaches in post-concussion syndrome, we pulled our data at Complete Concussion Management and we found that 82% of the patients in our system report having a headache after 30 days after their concussion. Interestingly, so 82% of patients after day 30 report having a headache. However, only 78% of patients report having a headache within the first 10 days. So the headache that comes on with concussion doesn't necessarily mean that it's due to the concussive injury right as it happened. It may be something that happens after the fact, okay? So that's more of a secondary headache or a post-traumatic headache. 74% of patients report feeling pressure in the head. So you can tell right there that a tension type headache can feel like pressure. The majority of patients are reporting pressure in the head. So this kind of leads you more towards that tension type headache as well. Secondary headaches develop within seven days after head trauma 
and they can persist for months to even years after. And there's probably a lot of concussion patients that are listening and watching this right now that have had concussion or had headaches for months to years. Um, and these headaches can fit with a number of different overlapping criteria. So they're kind of termed post-concussion headaches, but they kind of fit in the, in the path of all, uh, a whole bunch of different types of headaches, I should say. So the most common post-traumatic headaches, again, tension type migraine, cervicogenic ice pick headaches, occipital neuralgia, and something called medication overuse or rebound headaches. And I'm going to talk about each one of these, okay? So that's how this is going to go today. So migraine headache, as I said, there's two types. There's migraine with aura and migraine without aura. There's four phases to a migraine headache, and it kind of gradually builds over time, eventually coming to the headache, which is stage three. And then you have kind of a post-headache phase, which is called the post-drome phase. The timeline for migraines, and this is important, the timeline for migraines is between three and 72 hours. Okay, so sometimes patients will come in and say, I've had a migraine for a week. No, you haven't. That's not how migraines work. Migraines have a start and a stop. You can't have a migraine for that long. There's a very, 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 very rare type of migraine headache that can last a long time. But a lot of times that patients that believe that they've had a migraine headache for five days are not having migraine headaches. And this is important because the treatment is going to be different. Oftentimes, even if you've been told by a doctor that you're having migraine headaches, oftentimes that is a misdiagnosis. And that's exactly why I'm, I'm going into this right now so that people can get the right information and have kind of clarification on what they should be doing. So like I said, what happens in a migraine headache is you get this excitation of, of, of brain cells similar to what happens in a concussion, yet unknown why this happens. This can be due to pain response, stress response, certain foods that you may eat, etc. lack of sleep. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this may come on. Mine comes on after really intense physical exertion. So if I have a really intense, you know, I, I play hockey and I'd be driving home from the hockey game and all of a sudden I'd be like, ah, shit, I can't see the radio. And I would have to pull over and take some Advil because I'm looking down and I'm all of a sudden blind in one side of my face. So it happens for a variety of reasons. Mine happen to be, you know, after intense exercise. But I think there's underlying causes like inflammation, right? This is if I've, you know, been, you know, having crappy food all weekend and you know going out drinking with my friends and doing whatever and then I try to play hockey on a Sunday night this is when I would get a migraine so I think there's other factors involved in my particular case uh, and I think this is probably true for most people where it's a variety of things all adding up to get to that point um, so first off you get a hyperpolarization of cells which is an excitatory phase then you get a release of what's called pain enhancing chemicals. So things that make your nervous system more sensitive to pain responses. And then there's some stuff that happens within the brain stem uh, and also with some of the receptors in the areas of your neck. So even neck dysfunction can contribute to migraine headache pain, which is again why some people that get chiropractic manipulations actually benefit from this from a headache or migraine perspective. Okay, so that's kind of the pathogenesis of migraine. Like I said, it's throbbing, pulsatile, usually on one side of the head. So usually it's one-sided. For me, it's usually on my right side. Um, maybe accompanied by nauseousness or vomiting, and maybe accompanied by sensitivity to light and sound. So sometimes people will have associated what's called phonophobia, which is sensitivity to sound, or photophobia, which is sensitivity to light. This is also true of other types of headaches, though. So just because you have particular nauseousness, vomiting, photophonophobia doesn't necessarily automatically put you in the category of migraine. You have to kind of take the whole picture together. Throbbing, pulsatile, 
duration is between three and 72 hours. Most, most are in the shorter category, like mine are three hours, for example. Most are in the shorter category for migraine, um, usually on one side of the head, and could have these other things associated with it. So let's talk about treatments for migraine. There's probably a number of you right now that have thought you've had migraine that are maybe second guessing that to say, hmm, maybe I don't have migraine based on what I'm hearing. Typical treatments for migraines though are abortive medications, meaning that if you feel a migraine coming on, you have to take this medication and, and hopefully that will do the trick. If you're on abortive medications and it doesn't really do anything, it's a good chance that the headache has been misdiagnosed. Um, and there's also preventative medications. So things that if you have a lot of these, they may put you on as a preventative measure along the way. They may do things like Botox injections. And that just shows you that some of these headaches can initiate, can be initiated in the neck because a lot of times the Botox injections are people injecting this into your neck muscles so that they don't cause this pain referral. So in my mind, a lot of this is from either misdiagnosis or the overlap in the mechanisms of these things. Another preventative treatment is avoiding triggers. So for me, for example, I try not to do extremely vigorous exercise, especially after you know um, having bad food and maybe some alcohol. So I try to I try to use that where I'm doing things in a you know a gradual way where I have a nice warm up and things like that. So things that I know that I can avoid some of those triggers without necessarily doing it. For concussion patients, they this may be a variety of different things. Whatever your triggers, you know, may be is is one way to go about treating it. What's not often discussed, and I've already alluded to this in the treatment of migraines, is things like reducing inflammation. So like I said, these can come on because of an inflammatory response. If your nervous system is more hyperactive when you're in an inflammatory state, things like refined sugars and this type of stuff can make your nervous system more reactive, more kind of hypersensitive, which then can trigger migraine easier. So reducing inflammation kind of systemically by eating cleaner foods can really help a lot of patients. Removing foods that are potentially pro-inflammatory for you it may be something obscure. You may have various food sensitivities that you're not even aware of, but they're triggering this kind of constant inflammatory response. So this stuff is not often talked about, but we're talking about diet, stress reduction, proper sleep hygiene. All of these things can contribute to reducing inflammation and potentially reducing migraine headaches. And another one that I've already kind of alluded to too is fixing any neck dysfunction. So there's a thing called the trigeminal cervical nucleus or ganglion that's in the upper part of the brainstem. That upper part of the brainstem intermingles with pain responses from the upper part of the neck. So pain responses from the upper part of the neck can intermingle with this trigeminal, trigeminal cervical nucleus, it's called, which then refers pain through the trigeminal nerve. So it's almost a crossing of wires in your nervous system. And so if there's dysfunction in the upper neck, that trigeminal cervical nucleus can be implicated and can cause the migraine headache to come on from that. So there is some overlap here in upper neck dysfunction and um, these types of headaches. So that's these are things that are often not talked about. Oftentimes you go to your doctor, your neurologist, they're just gonna put you on like a triptan or some sort of medication as an abortive medication or maybe they put you on beta blockers or something else as like a preventative medication, but they never talk to you about changing your diet, having good stress reduction, having proper sleep, or even getting any type of treatment on your neck. So the way that I think about this is I tend to start there. Let's do the stuff that's going to create long lasting changes that are going to be better for you in the long term. And if that's not working, then we can maybe look at introducing medication. Oftentimes in our society, 
we do the reverse. We go into the medication first, and then we end up with all these dependencies and all of these other side effects that happen because of that medication. And then we can't get off the medication because of all of that stuff. And now we can't figure out what else may be helpful. So I always try to tell patients like, use that as a very last step. Start with the other stuff first. Let's try to do this in a better way. Let's fix the problem rather than just kind of suppressing the symptom, which is essentially what a lot of medications do. Okay, so that's migraines, okay? So the big things here, pulsatile quality, uh, three to 72 hours in length, usually one-sided, can have some accompanying other things like photophonophobia, but other headaches can have that too. So that's not a slam dunk diagnosis. Next up is tension type and cervicogenic. I'm gonna put these together. Cervicogenic, your neck is actually called your cervical spine. So cervicogenic headache just means simply a headache that's actually coming from the tissues of the cervical spine. Tension type headache is more around muscles uh, and it can also involve muscles in the scalp and head itself. So things like your jaw, your temporalis muscle, your masseter muscle, uh, your occipitalis and frontalis muscles that can also create their own pain generation, but it's tension within those. So tension type is muscles in the head, face, and jaw. Cervicogenic is muscles and joints also. So cervicogenic includes joints of the neck that refer pain up to the head. Whiplash and concussion occur together. And I know that those who have been watching this show for a long time know this fact. Concussion causes is caused by acceleration. Whiplash is also caused by acceleration. Concussion requires anywhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 120 Gs of acceleration and deceleration. Whiplash only takes four and a half. So if you've gotten a concussion, you've also gotten a whiplash. There's just no way to avoid those two. So because of that, you're going to have this underlying neck injury which creates neck dysfunction. Sometimes people don't even have neck pain but it's the dysfunction in the neck that causes the pain. But because of the overlap, that little miscommunication in your nervous system, that trigeminal cervical nucleus, you can have pain getting referred into the head where it feels like it's right here, but it's actually not right here, it's back here. And if nobody's going back here and everyone's looking right here, you're gonna miss it, right? We're gonna try and suppress the symptom and not deal with the root cause, which is actually somewhere back here. Right? And that's where it's important to really look at the underlying cause and understand the difference between these headache types. Character, like I said, is dull, achy, constant. Um, sometimes it's described as like a band around my head that's just squeezing my head down like this. Um, cervicogenic headache is often described as the exact same as migraine. So this is where I think a lot of misdiagnosis is happening. Cervicogenic headache, if you look at the definition of it and the, and the diagnostic criteria, it's one-sided usually, but can be both if you have dysfunction on both sides of your neck, but usually it's considered as being one-sided. Um, it has uh, characteristics of photo and phonophobia that are associated with it. It's usually always on the same side, which is also characteristic of migraine, because if you have a neck dysfunction on this side, a joint that's inflamed, for example, you're always gonna have that referral on the same side. It doesn't cross over, so it's always gonna be on that same side. And oftentimes I feel that those with cervicogenic headaches are misdiagnosed as migraines, they're given medications, and the medications don't work because they're not going after the right mechanism. The mechanism is muscle and joint tension. Meanwhile, the medication that's trying to stop the physiological process of the migraine is not going to be an effective form of treatment for that person. So here's the cervicogenic headache character. The headaches are, like I said, one-sided can be both constant and aching. This is the differentiator between migraine, which is throbbing and pulsatile, okay? 
Headaches may increase with movement. So those that feel that when they're bouncing, their headache gets worse. And I often hear people say, when I bounce or move, it feels like my brain is rattling around in my head and it hurts and I get this sharp pain and that type of stuff. That is cervicogenic. You can't feel pain in your brain. Your brain does not have pain receptors or does not have pain um, um, yeah, pain receptors within it. So it doesn't have what's called nociceptors, which are the pain receptors inside the brain. So it can't sense pain in itself. So when people feel that their brain is moving around, you can't actually feel your brain. You can feel your neck and all the other stuff of your head, but you're not able to feel your brain. So when people feel like their brain is moving around, usually it's a result of the neck that's moving around that you're feeling. And if people feel like their brain is bouncing around, they're trying to stabilize because it makes them feel better, that's they're actually stabilizing their neck. So if that's you, there's a really good chance that your, your stuff is all kind of neck related, which is good news. Um, and a lot of patients don't necessarily see it that way because they feel that they want it to be their brain for some reason, but it's probably your neck. Um, this may be accompanied, like I said, by nauseousness, vomiting, dizziness, sensitivity to light and noise, blurred vision, usually on the same side. So usually if you go to a doctor and say, I have blurred vision on this side, I get really, really light sensitive, noise sensitive when I get a headache, they're going to say, oh, that's migraine right? But that's actually not the case because there's a lot of overlap between these two. Provocation of pain can be felt by pushing on a joint. If you have a headache in your forehead or behind your eye and you push here, like kind of some of these muscles back here, and you can feel that headache, you've pretty much nailed your diagnosis. So when I have a patient that comes in after a concussion, the first thing I do is put them on a treadmill because I'm looking for any blood flow issues that may be leading to that. If they don't have that, then I move into my next phase of things, which is usually some vestibular and ocular motor stuff. And then after that, I'm going to assess their neck. And a lot of what I'm doing is I'm pushing on various tissues and joints to try and recreate the headache. I'm trying to cause the headache. If somebody goes, oh, I have this headache and it's right behind my eye, I already know what tissues are going to contribute to that type of pain just because I know the various referral patterns. Once you know the various referral patterns as a clinician, you can push on various tissues and cause the headache to come up. If I can cause your headache to get worse, I know exactly what's causing it. And if I can loosen that stuff off, I can relieve that headache in a permanent way. So again, just talking about brain and pain, I have a quote up here and we'll probably show it on the YouTube video somewhere over one of my shoulders. Um, listen to this. Brain cells do not contain nociceptors, which are the pain response receptors. And non-traumatic headaches are common. It would seem odd that we consider this a primary sign of brain injury. One could argue that concussion, uh, that in concussion, the brain may not interpret the signal correctly, but the brain cells still cannot be the primary pain generator. Given that many post-traumatic headaches meet the criteria for migraine, it is highly likely that at times we are confusing brain injury with post-traumatic migraine. Yes. Additionally, whiplash injuries occur with similar forces and the symptoms have significant overlap with those commonly associated with concussion. So the brain can't feel pain is the main thing I want people to get from this is that they often feel that, oh, my brain, it's my brain, it's my brain. It's not your brain. It's likely other things involved because the brain can't feel pain. It's not a primary pain generator. So um, migraine misdiagnosis, I mean, I'm just going to go through this really quickly. Like I said, migraine versus cervicogenic, both can occur unilaterally. Both are associated with nauseousness, dizziness, sensitivity, light, and noise. Both can be triggered by the, pri the trigeminal cervical nucleus, which is that upper part of the brainstem. Um, and uh, both could be relieved by nerve blocks, Botox, or pain medications. Um, the differences are the timeline, right? Cervicogenic headache can last for weeks. 
So if somebody has this ongoing headache that's been lasting for a week and it's not going away, it's not likely to be migraine, it's more likely to be cervicogenic or tension type headache. The character of the headache, migraine, pulsatile, this dull, aching, constant, searing, sometimes sharp, even pain. Uh, migraine will also have aura, uh, or can have aura, doesn't always have aura, but if you do have some sort of aura or something that happens prior to the migraine that tells you you're about to get a migraine, that's called aura. That is specific to migraine only, that you will not find in cervicogenic. I have some images up right now um, on my screen that I will be probably putting up on the YouTube channel that talk about cervical referral patterns. Like I was saying before, all these different muscles refer pain to specific areas of the head. So for example, uh, there's one, the, the, the suboccipital muscles right here, the small group of muscles right at the back of, of your neck, right at the base of your skull, they can refer pain into your eyeball, into your forehead, to the side of your head, um, even sometimes up over the top of the head like this. Sometimes patients will feel it like this. The SCM muscle is this big one here. It can refer pain all across the face, into the jaw, to the behind the ear. Um, your jaw itself can refer pain into the ear and up to the temple. Um, all of these things, all of these muscles can refer pain in different spots. The splenius capitis refers pain right to the very crown of the head. So if somebody comes into me and says, feels like somebody's jamming a screwdriver right through the top of my head, I know right away, splenius capitis, let's figure out where that is, and then you just loosen that off, and then all of a sudden it's like headache is gone and they feel a lot better. So it's quite easy to treat if somebody knows what they're doing. Treatment type. Usually what still happens for this, if you're going the traditional medical route, is you're going to get over-the-counter medications. You're going to say, take Advil, take Tylenol, those types of things. They come with other issues, and we'll talk about that after. Botox is often prescribed, and Botox uh, is often known in the cosmetic world because it can reduce wrinkles. Really what it does is it's a paralytic. It paralyzes your muscles. So if you have wrinkles and things like that, they'll paralyze some of these muscles so that they don't scrunch up, so that you don't actually show those wrinkles. Okay. Now, in the neck, if you have muscles that are super tight and just holding on like this, that's causing pain, they'll put Botox in there, which basically uh, paralyzes that muscle for a period of time. It lasts a few months, and then you have to go back and get it again, because as that wears off, the muscle tightens back up again. This is a temporary solution. This is not fixing your issue, and anyone that's getting regular Botox treatments is basically fooling themselves into thinking that this is any type of long-term solution. Maybe get a Botox injection and then get somebody to work on that tissue to create some more long-lasting change. That's what you want. You want the long-lasting change. You don't want to be doing this for the rest of your life. You're probably creating other issues like uh, scar tissue around the injection site. Also, because Botox does paralyze the muscles, you get a lot of information about where you are in space from the little sensors in your muscles. As your muscles get tense or as they contract, they tell your brain that you're turning your head. If you paralyze those muscles, here's what happens. You don't know where you are in space. People often get very dizzy after they get Botox injections. So there's side effects of some of this stuff. Other issues or other things that they do, sometimes nerve blocks, they might give you muscle relaxants. The problem with muscle relaxants is it doesn't just go in and relax the one muscle you need relaxed. Usually what it does is it relaxes your entire central nervous system. So you feel very fatigued, drowsy, that type of thing. So it affects other areas of your life. So this is why that's usually a last resort for me. Better options, you have less side effects, longer lasting results, reduce your inflammation. Again, getting back to diet, 
exercise and proper sleep, you can reduce systemic inflammation and also manual work on the neck and rehab exercises on the neck, loosening off the muscle dysfunctions, adjusting some of those joints, finding a good chiropractor that can actually relieve the tension in those joints, help you with rehab exercises to stabilize a good physiotherapist. Um, you know, all of these things can help you to improve the neck function, which then takes away from the pain, takes away from the tension, uh, improves function over time, and away you go. Another type of headache is occipital neuralgia. Uh, occipital neuralgia is a it's a constant aching, burning, stabbing pain. It's a nerve-based pain. So you have the greater occipital nerve and lesser occipital nerve that come from the, the little muscles back here. They pierce through and they come up the back of the scalp. If there's pressure on those nerves, which can be due to arthritis in the upper part of the neck, it can be due to muscle tension, it's gonna put pressure on that nerve and make it very hyper-irritated. So it, it, you may have this kind of burning sensation coming up the back of the head. That like burning sensation is indicative usually of more of a nerve type pain. Nerves tend to be very burning. Sharp pain, on the other hand, sharp pain, if it feels like somebody's stabbing, that's usually a joint. So usually sharp pain is, is coming from a joint in your neck. Dull aching coming from a muscle. Burning more likely coming from a nerve. So that's just a way to figure out what type of pain you may actually be having. Burning sensation coming off the back of the head can be occipital neuralgia. Burning sensation coming into the face can be uh, what's called trigeminal neuralgia, which is inflammation again of the trigeminal nerve, which is the facial area. So this can be caused from a variety of different things that are putting pressure or irritating that nerve. Uh, what's often prescribed, medications, over-the-counter anti-inflammatory medications, muscle relaxants, sometimes again nerve blocks or, or Botox injections just to relieve tension on the muscles in the back of the head. Again, or you can get some manual work done to relieve this in a, in a more natural and more long-term way. In very severe cases of this, they can go in and do what's called an ablation and they can actually start to cut that nerve away so that you're no longer feeling that pain. Um, they can put little devices in there that help to kind of reduce its, its, its activity to reduce the pain signal. Um, like I said, better treatments are, are getting some manual work. Sometimes this is impossible. If you have severe osteoarthritis in that upper part of your neck, manual treatment won't be able to release that and you may actually need some sort of cervical intervention or something to actually reduce that pain. Next up, so I have two more left. I have the ice pick headache and I have the rebound headache. And then I have kind of an overall um, overall thing. Actually, there's another one that I'm calling scary headaches. Scary headaches are the ones to be concerned about and when you should actually be seeking immediate care. But first off, ice pick headaches. So these ones are very severe, sharp headaches that come on out of nowhere and they last about five to 10 seconds and then they're gone and there's no lingering effect. So all of a sudden you're sitting there and all of a sudden it feels like somebody has literally taken an ice pick and jammed it in the side of your head and you just get this like, oh, geez, this really intense pain and then it's gone and you're like, what the hell was that? Okay, it's um, obviously very scary. People think that there's something seriously, seriously wrong. These are the good news, benign for the most part. We don't know what causes them. There's no known pathophysiology and I think it's because they happen so quickly that we can't study it. It just, it just happens and it's gone and we don't have any really good treatments for it. Um, and so I think it's, it's one of these ones that is scary, uh, but there's no known cause. So some of the thoughts on this thought to be perhaps a brief disruption in the brain's control mechanisms can be associated with stress, 
can be associated with inflammation, like sleep disruptions, uh, food additives, uh, all these different things, uh, uh, sugar, alcohol, and hormonal changes. All of these things happen in concussion. And so this is actually fairly common in concussion patients to report these ice pick type headaches. In extreme cases, that you may be prescribed prophylactic medications similar to um, similar to a, a migraine type headache, something in in an effort to try and reduce this could be an anti-inflammatory medication or something like that. I always have patients. Let's start with the basics, right? Let's reduce your stress. Let's reduce your inflammation. Let's get you sleeping better, exercising better, eating better, all of these things to reduce all this. So you're starting to see a common theme here. Um, I've also had some success with neck work as well. So again, a common theme, inflammation, diet, exercise, um, and, uh, and neck work and stress reduction. Rebound headaches, again, common in concussion because certain medications can cause what's a, called a rebound headache. If you are taking, let's say, and the, the most common one here is Tylenol. Tylenol is the one that's most well known for this. Taking Tylenol, um, it, it will reduce your headache pain, right? You take a Tylenol, it feels great, okay? Now you take a Tylenol again the next day. Every time you get a headache, you're taking a Tylenol. What starts to happen is your body builds up a dependency. And so then when you don't take Tylenol, you get a headache. So what do you do? You take a Tylenol. That is a withdrawal symptom. So that headache you're getting is not an actual headache, it's what's called a rebound headache, and it's a withdrawal from Tylenol. So you've created a dependency to Tylenol, all right? So, and that, this is also known as acetaminophen. So um, that is the concern with people taking over-the-counter medication for their concussion-related headaches. I always have patients say, oh, I live on Tylenol. And then to try and get them off Tylenol, their headaches get worse, and they think it's because they're not, um, because the Tylenol was actually helping to reduce the headache. Well, no, the Tylenol has just created an addiction now, and anytime you don't take it, you get the headache that it's associated with that, and that's called a rebound headache. So it, it makes it difficult to get off. Worst offenders are aspirin, acetaminophen, Excedrin, opioid medications, and migraine medications, which again, once you're not taking your migraine medication anymore, you start getting headaches, you think your migraines are back, so guess what? You go back to the migraine medication, and you're stuck forever. This is why I always leave any type of medication intervention to be the very last resort. Ibuprofen, uh, otherwise known as Advil, naproxen, these mechanisms aren't the same. They can cause other issues like gut issues, ulcers and things like that, stomach bleeds, but not as likely to cause um, rebound type headaches. So this is always why it's better to treat the cause of the headache and not the symptoms of the headache. Okay, last up we have scary headaches. These are the ones that are, should be taken very seriously right away. So these are things that could be uh, like an aneurysm, a stroke, things like that that have happened suddenly, a brain bleed, tearing of blood vessels, those types of things that can happen out of nowhere. Sudden and severe, these are called thunderclap headaches. They come on very suddenly out of nowhere and they last. Unlike ice pick headaches, sudden and severe and they go away within 10 seconds, sudden and severe and they get worse and worse and worse and worse because as you're bleeding and it's pushing on things and structures, it gets worse, okay? Despite medication, despite rest, despite doing anything, it just continues to get worse in a very short period of time, okay? Very su sudden onset, severe in nature and not getting any better. Okay, migraine, for example, starts gradually, comes on, gets worse, 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 and then it subsides. This one comes on, they call it thunderclap, boom, 
comes on and it's there and it's not going away. Headache can be accompanied by signs of infection like fever, rash, stiffness in the neck, or signs of a stroke like facial drooping, slurring of the speech, visual deficits. Those types of things can be indicative of this type of headache. If you have any of the above, you go to the emergency department right away. These are the headaches you want to be worried about, okay? Here's the summary table, okay? So I have a summary table. I'll get my guy to show it on YouTube over one of my shoulders. But the summary table is the five types of headaches we talked about. Uh, tension, migraine, occipital neuralgia, ice pick, and rebound. Tension, I'll talk first about duration. Tension headaches, duration is one hour to one week. Migraine is three hours to 72 hours. So migraines are short duration. Occipital neuralgia can be weeks to months. Um, sharp stabbing, burning pain in the back of the head. Ice pick headache, five to 10 seconds. Very sudden, very sharp, very, or very severe, and then it goes away. Rebound headache, two to 10 days after stopping medication. Tension type headache is dull, aching, constant. Migraine headache is throbbing and pulsatile. Occipital neuralgia, sharp stabbing, burning. Ice pick headache, very severe, very sharp. And rebound headache, dull, aching, constant, similar to what you would get uh, from a tension type headache or cervicogenic headache. And some people that drink a lot of coffee may notice that they get headaches when they don't drink coffee. Like if I wake up in the morning and don't have my coffee, by about two o'clock I have this headache and I just don't know why. That's a dependency headache. I am addicted to caffeine and when I don't have my morning coffee, I end up with a headache. And this is exactly the same thing or similar to a, a, a rebound headache, all right? So the treatment across all of this, the overarching themes for no matter what type of headache that you have, the starting point should never be, let's go get medication for this or whatever. The starting point should be, let's reduce inflammation and reduce stress. Diet, sleep, exercise. So an anti-inflammatory type diet, getting rid of any potential food sensitivities that you may have. Exercising, but not overexerting yourself, doing this in a safe way. Uh, and doing whatever you can to reduce stress. Meditation, proper sleep, right? Talk about light exposure, how you're eating your meals throughout the day can affect your sleep quality. It's not just the fact that you might be getting your eight hours, it's sleep quality. I have a number of other videos on that. If you wanna check that out, uh, please do because it'll explain how sleep works. Fix your neck. Your neck seems to be the root cause for a lot of these different headaches, whether it be migraine, tension, uh, cervicogenic, a lot of this is coming from neck dysfunction, which may have been there prior to the injury, may have been a result of the injury, or a bit of a combination. You may have had some minor neck dysfunction and the injury brings it to the forefront. You may have never had neck problems in the past and all of a sudden now you're getting these constant headaches, neck related because the concussion injury resulted in some neck dysfunction that has now kind of come to the forefront. And then finally, medication if everything else fails. And I would give some good effort to the other pieces because once you go down the medication route, it is very hard to come back around the other side. But medications can be very helpful for, for some of these headaches that aren't working for other types of conditions. So that is it. I have some questions coming in on my live feed on Instagram and I will stick around for a few minutes to cover that. I do have a hard stop in about 10 uh, and, uh, and then I'll go from there. So for those of you watching on YouTube, listening to the podcast, I will see you uh, next week. For those that are on Instagram, chill out for a sec and I will answer some questions. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? 
Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.